just a very quick aside. That picture on the lower, the lower picture of the two, the burning bush, was a prophetic picture. It was actually a painting somebody gave us who did set free. And the thing about the burning bush is Moses was walking along the road or through the desert or somewhere. He saw the burning bush and he had to stop. And he had to turn and go and look at it. Set free, worst case, is you spend a weekend with God getting prayed for. You stop in your life and you turn, and worst case, it's just getting prayed for all weekend. Best case, you come with a lot of something beginning with C and ending in P, and you get rid of it all. Um, and that's what generally happens with people. What I'm going to talk about this morning is healing. You guys are going to get totally fed up with me talking about healing because I believe 100% that God wants to establish a culture of healing in this church which will draw people in. But there's a cost to it, and we'll find out more. So how is that for font size? Is that still too small? Good for, but you've got good eyes. How about some of us with not so good eyes? Can you see it? Adam, are you okay for you? Yeah. Well, so we'll go with that font size in future. You can't at the back. Oh, we need to go up another point. Okay, we'll go up a little bit more next time. Sorry? Yeah, you can come and sit at the front. We don't bite. I don't bite most of the time. The biblical basis for healing, surely he, that is Jesus, took up our pain, our sicknesses, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, his scourges, we are healed. Generally, in our culture, in Western Christianity, we have absolutely no problem in believing that what Christ accomplished on the cross brought us salvation and the forgiveness of sins. We have a much bigger issue, many people do, of believing that it also brought us healing and wholeness of the whole body, body, mind, and spirit. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And 1 Peter 2.24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds, stripes, you were healed. This picture is not meant to embarrass you or to um, make you feel sorry for Jesus. It's simply to show what the cost is that he paid for our healing. He was scourged by a whip. It wasn't a Jewish lashing which would be limited to 40. It was a Roman one which didn't have a limit on it. And the whip had sewn into the ends of it bits of bone and bits of steel that would literally rip the flesh off his back. And most men and probably women, I don't know if they did women, they might have done women, um, died as a result of the lashing. They didn't survive it. 
Jesus was not a normal man. He was also the creator. He was God as well as man. And he chose to pay the price for our salvation and our healing. He offered himself. At any time during that whole process, he could have called down a legion of angels and gone back to wherever he came from, but he didn't. He chose to pay the price for our healing. And we'll never really understand the pain that he went through because the, the physical pain was one thing, but the pain in his heart as he took on the sin of the world was something completely different and something much bigger in many ways. I must remember to do that one as well as this one, because otherwise I'll be doing this one and you'll be looking at that one and we'll all get confused. We have this perception, or there is quite a common perception within Christian circles, that Jesus is the good guy and Father is kind of the judge who's out to get us or trip us up or to tell us off. And that they're, they're, you know, one, one's good and one's, you know, a little bit more serious, a little bit more judgmental. But what the Bible says is that the fullness of God dwelt in the man Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what Father God thinks about something or reacts to something, you simply need to look at how Jesus reacted to it. Because he only ever did what he saw his Father doing. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So Jesus was an imager of the Father. He reflected the Father. He portrayed what Father God would do in each given situation. He did nothing of his own volition. And then it gets better. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The Lord appointed 70 others, and I think these were both men and women, and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. Heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I want you to note one thing. He didn't send them out with authority to ask God to heal them if it was his will. He didn't send them out to ask God to heal them full stop. He gave them authority over sickness and over demons. We have that same authority. Jesus, Jesus passed it on to us in the Great Commission. So Jesus lived, he healed. He spent a huge, huge amount of time healing and casting out demons. It's, an, it's amazing how much he lived in that realm. And then post the ascension, once he'd come, he was crucified, he went down, he came up, and he did into heaven. Healing didn't stop. It continued. All the way through the book of Acts, Peter and John healed the lame beggar in Acts 3, 1, 10. I'm not going to sing the song because it's going out live stream and that would be too embarrassing, but there's this wonderful song about, you know, 
It's said of Peter's shadow that as he walked past people, people would be healed. It wasn't his shadow that healed him, it was just the presence of the Spirit around him. It's said of Catherine Coleman, who had a great healing ministry in the 60s, that she would walk through an airport and people would get healed as she walked past. She didn't pray for them, she just walked through the airport and people would be healed. I kind of long for that thing. Peter heals Aeneas in Acts 9.33, and Paul and Barnabas in Iconium do many signs and wonders. Now, Paul Lystra had a really fun time. He preached for far too long, and a poor man fell asleep, fell out the window, died, and Paul had to go down and resurrect him from the dead. So don't fall asleep during the sermon. You never know what might happen. And then Paul at Malta healed Publius, and then the rest of the people on the island who had diseases. That's, that was everybody in the island. Quite a natural thing. Healing in church history is quite an interesting thing to look at. For the first 300 years after Christ ascended into heaven, healing was the norm. The infilling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healing was the norm. People met in houses, the next door neighbor would get sick, they'd pop round, they'd heal them, and they'd join the church. And that's how a lot of evangelism happened. And then around three to four hundred Gnostic philosophy crept into Christian doctrine and taught that the body was bad. The flesh is bad. Augustine taught not to pray for the sick. What it doesn't say is that when Augustine got a bit older, he got really sick, and someone came and prayed for him, and he got healed, and he retracted that statement. But they don't talk about the retraction. In the 400s, it was taught that healing was a distraction to the gospel. And in 600, Pope Gregory the Great, in the book of Pastoral Rule, taught that sickness came from God. Up until that point, sickness came from the devil and health and wholeness came from God. But these things have actually stuck in a lot of our doctrines and a lot of our theology. In the 700s, anointing with oil was limited to bishops and priests only. And then by the 1100s, you only got it when you were dying. And it was a little bit late then. Just as an interesting aside, from 1100 to 1825, there was something called the Royal Touch. And the only people who could pray for healing were the kings and queens of England and France. And Queen Victoria used to hold healing meetings and people would get healed. In 1500, John Calvin taught cessationism that the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the same way today. There weren't the things of the gift of the Spirit. And that has a huge, huge influence in the church today. We, um, we run Set Free in Sydney, in um, Northridge. But Set Free in Northridge used to have more people outside Northridge than did inside Northridge come along by the end. We'd run it with 20 candidates, and 19 of them would be from other churches. And we'd invariably get somebody from um, a high Anglican church come along. And they'd say they were cessationists. In fact, the Bishop of Sydney actually wrote something about what we say about generational stuff, about how it's rubbish. He's obviously not had it. The reformers questioned the anointing with oil. And in 1770, David Hughes demythologized the miracles. 
Now what that meant, and I actually had a minister when I was at school who came and taught our Christian Union class, he came and taught that Jesus didn't walk on water. There were stepping stones across the Dead Sea. And he didn't turn wine into water. No, he didn't turn wine into water. He didn't turn water into wine. What he did was fill up an old wine jar with water, and the wine jar flavored the water, and he poured it out, and it became the best wine there was. Now, I have tried that. It does not work. It is disgusting. And then in 1850, John Darby talked about dispensationalism, which is a theory that only certain things are active at certain periods of time. And healing obviously went out when scripture was canonized. And by the 1900s, healing, there was practically no healing in the organized church at all. And in fact, today, in the majority of denominations and a lot of churches, there is no prayer ministry. There is no prayer for healing. You just go along and get bored. I didn't say that. However, there has been a remnant of people through the ages who have moved in the fullness of the gospel. And they have taught healing. One of the most incredible stories is one of St. Patrick in Ireland. He was an amazing guy. He had a, he had a situation with the Druids, very similar to Elijah had with the prophets of Baal. He had a huge healing ministry, and he was a really good guy. Francis of Assisi, it said of Francis of Assisi that when he prayed for people to be healed, they would be healed and he would levitate off the ground. Every time I pray for somebody to be healed, I watch my feet. <laughs> but they're firmly stuck on the ground. One day, one day, and so it goes on. And then in the 1900s, there was a huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And the healings that happened in those places were huge. People would walk into the Azusa, and this is the birth of Pentecostalism and tongues, and the biggest missionary movement the world has ever seen. But in Azusa Street, People would walk, they wouldn't walk in, they'd be wheelchaired into the place with no legs, and they would literally walk out having had legs grown. A lot of the healing was done by teenagers. And there is a book called The True Stories of the Miracles of Azusa Street. I really recommend that book, it is well worth reading. There was a train station about a kilometer and a half away from the Azusa Street, and some of the workers got off the train one night to go, and everybody in the station was slain in the spirit. Just flat out. They didn't know why. God just moved. I wish he'd move like that nowadays. And then there's a book called God's Generals, which records the history of a lot of the people, the great evangelists who moved in healing. People like John Alexander Dowie, Maria Woodwardetta, Evan Roberts, etc., etc., Dai was an interesting chap. I believe he's the one who started the healing rooms. And in the city in which he lived, which was quite a big city, they actually closed the hospitals because there was nobody, to, nobody needed them. They'd all been healed. When Evan Roberts, who started the Welsh Revival, they actually closed all the brothels and turned the pubs into churches and closed the police force down because there was no longer any crime. 
Just that whole move of God is amazing. And then he also had a great healing ministry. And then we get to today. And people like John Wimber, who was instrumental in the start of the vineyard movement. Ian Andrews, who taught me healing and is the chairman of Pain, which is some kind of healing ministry. Quite a big one of that. Carl Pierce, Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, John and Carol Arnott, etc., etc., and many others. A really interesting one is Heidi and Roland Baker. I'm sure you've probably heard of them. Um, I was actually in Toronto at the airport vineyard about the same time that she was, just after the Toronto Blessing started. She had been a missionary in Mozambique with her husband for something like 10 years, and they were totally burnt out. They'd had two, they started two churches and a couple of orphanages, and they were struggling. God zapped her at Toronto. She was out for about five days. They had to help her go to the toilet. God said to her during that time, do you want the nation of Mozambique? And she said, yes. The following year, her husband got exceptionally sick. They lost their supporters because of the relationship with the airport vineyard, and they struggled. And then God blessed them. This slide was written a number of years ago. And at that time, they had started 10,000 churches. They had huge, a, a huge number of orphanages. And everybody she prays for, for the eyes to see and the ears to hear, get healed. That's, I mean, that's what God can do and what God does. In the Great Commission, I spoke to them saying, all, not a little bit, not most, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What did he command them to do? Cast out demons and heal the sick was certainly one thing. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in John 14, 12 and 13, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I've been healing for about 40 years. And these are, it was interesting, I'm talking about establishing a culture of healing here. We established a culture of healing in Northridge, and the original culture started through Set Free. We went along to Set Free one day, and in our pre-prayer session, one of my friends who was on team said, God is in the house. And the first thing that came to my heart was healing. And we've been running set free for about two or three years at this point, and I said, we're going to do healing today, physical healing. And we did it, and people got healed. And we'd been doing it ever since. And more and more people on teams started doing it, and it started working, until we had a real culture of healing within set free, which then spread out into the church. It was quite amazing. We've had 
10 people come forward for healing. Nine have been demonstrably healed, and one we don't know because it wasn't something you could tell if they were healed or not. Those are really dumb things to pray. I don't pray for those kind of things anymore because you want to see the results. That's not quite true, I'm joking. Just in case, and set free some people misunderstood some of my jokes and thought I was being serious. I can't understand why. So this is a sample of some of the things that we've seen on Set Free and in Northridge. Elbows healed. Broken noses healed. Two women who had no sense of smell from birth got their sense of smell. We've had numerous backs healed, legs grow, bodies come into balance, broken bones healed. Um, people set free, people healed of ME, of that sleeping thing where you can't get up. People's hands healed. And a number of babies, people who have been trying for years and years to have babies, nine months after doing set free, they ring up and say, we've had a baby, we're not sure what happened. Well, not going into detail on that one. Um, when it comes to... My paradigm is that God is good. God is always good. He is the source of health and wholeness, and Jesus is the perfect representation of God, which is in Hebrews 1.3. I've spoken about that already. He's more on our side than we can ever imagine, and he wants us to exceed. And I expect everyone I pray for to be healed. Now I have to say that not everyone is healed, but we'll talk about that more in a minute. The devil is bad. He's always bad. He only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the father of lies and the ultimate source of sickness. So what happens when people aren't healed? Because this is a real thing, and this is part of the cost of trying to establish a culture of healing. Sometimes people don't get healed. Well, the first thing, I would, I would never say it was their fault. I'd never say it's your lack of faith or you're believing something else or anything like that. I'd say it's probably more likely my fault and I've missed something. But I'd never say it was their fault. And it doesn't negate my fundamental beliefs that God wants to heal. One of his names is healing, Jehovah Rapper. What I have found is that I may not have found the root cause of the illness. We are made of body, soul, and spirit, and yet we are one. You can't separate them. You can't extract your soul and put it on a table and put your body somewhere else and pop your spirit up here. It doesn't work like that. We are, in, in Hebrew terms, we are one, but we are body, soul, and spirit. And quite often, pain in our soul comes out through our bodies. Stress manifests through a physical thing. Unforgiveness manifests quite often through arthritis, funnily enough. And if you just pray for the symptom and don't get the root, the symptom's just going to come back even if it does get healed. And it's a case of taking the time to understand that. Sometimes it is purely physical, but even if it's purely physical, there will often be a spiritual element to it because we are body, soul, and spirit. Sometimes a broken leg 
can damage your spirit or your heart and make you feel bad. And you need to heal, the, the whole person needs to be healed. Does that make sense? I'm hoping it makes, it makes sense to me anyway. Some, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad it made sense in one person. That's good. success. <laughs> um, sometimes it's the spirit of infirmity. Very popular among sports people. Why you would do sports, I have no idea. You always get injured. But quite often, somebody will do sports, they'll break a leg, they'll damage a knee, it will be physically healed, it will be medically perfect, but they'll still have pain in it. And the pain is often a spirit of infirmity or a spirit of affliction, and it just needs to be got rid of. They're, they're just Klingons. And sometimes people don't want to be healed. We had a lady do set free who had ME. She had the sleeping disease. She refused to be prayed for for healing because she'd lose her center link. Well, okay. If, you, if somebody doesn't want to be healed, you can do nothing to heal them because they're stuck in that. And sometimes my, my realization is that I see this much of the picture, if I'm lucky, and the picture's this big, and there can be all sorts of other things happening which I don't see which is stopping the healing come. Now eventually I might get there, but it might take a little bit of time. I talked about this previously, that I have a plan B. Plan A is to lay hands on people, pray for them to be healed, and they're instantly healed. Plan B is if they're not instantly healed, come and see me next week and I'll pray again. And I'll pray again, and I'll pray again, and I'll pray again. I had a, a, a mum and daughter do set free. It must have been the first set free after COVID. Uh, where Kira is a nurse. She's just qualified as a nurse, and her mum's Lisa. And um, uh, something happened, and Kira got freed of a cough that she'd had for a long time, and then it came back. No, the, the mum. So the mum got freed. And, the, and then Kira came and said, would you pray for my mum? She's got this really bad cough. And I said, yes, and I'll pray for her until she's better. So for the last five months, every week, I've done a Zoom call. Last five to ten minutes, bit of pleasantries, pray for her cough, and she coughs. Every week. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I doubt myself. And I'm beginning to think, this is, maybe God doesn't heal coughs. Maybe he's not quite got this one worked out on Zoom. Um, maybe I'm not praying the right thing. And, you know, you begin to think, is it worth carrying on with this? And two weeks ago, we had our weekly call, and the mum said, I've been reflecting on my cough. Thought, That's a funny thing to reflect on. How do you reflect on a cough? And she said, I've noticed that for the past few weeks, I haven't had to rush to the toilet in the moment because I'm vomiting because I'm coughing so much. And Kira said, yes, that's right. And as she's reflected on it, she realized that she had been significantly healed and what was left was just more or less an irritation. And we're still praying for the irritation. And that cheered me up no end. The other thing that cheered me up even more was she said, whenever you've prayed for me, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I feel Jesus. And I'm thinking, yeah. That, that's what healing is about. You know, even if people don't get healed, they've had an encounter with God and they go, we're feeling 
loved and better. Now, you can, it can get the other way, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I think we need to contend for healing. We need to go out and seek it and practice it and go for it. It doesn't happen like that. We're not suddenly, next week, going to be filled with a church that everybody gets healed when they come in. It doesn't work like that. It can work like that, and it has done in some places, but generally, it takes time to build up the experience and to build up the, I was going to say skill, the gift. To mature in the gift is probably a good English way of putting it, not that I'm an Englishman. And it's learning to be comfortable when people don't get healed and not going away feeling guilty and ripped up and all the rest of it. John Wimber had an interesting experience. One, Randy Clark, who runs healing schools around the world, worked with John Wimber in the early days. And Wimber had a, a great healing conference, a great healing ministry. And he did a conference one night, 300 people came forward for healing, and not a single person got healed. On the taxi on the way back to the hotel, Randy says, what do you do with that? And Wimber said, I'm going back tomorrow night, I'm going to do exactly the same. He went back the next night, did exactly the same, 300 people came forward and 80% of them got healed. There is a mystery in it as well. It's not, you know, straightforward. Oh, I've done mine, I haven't done yours, hang on a sec. Okay. How do you start? I have a number of things which I believe. You know, most people come to church. I don't know, why do you come to church? Have you ever thought about that? Why do I come to church? I come to church for two reasons. Probably more, yeah. One's to worship Jesus, because that's fun. And the other is to serve. And my service, and what I want to do is touch people's lives and see them change, fall more in love with Jesus or be healed. I believe all sick people are a legal target. However, not all sick people want to be healed. So you need to be a little bit careful there and a little bit sensitive. And we need a passion for healing. We need a passion for the miraculous. I, I'm, I, I want to see God move in a real way that outweighs what happens on the other side. They have miracles on the other side. Reiki healing works. It's not healthy, but it works. Crystals work. Fortune-telling works. It's not healthy, but it works. I want to see more exciting things happen in the kingdom. Prophetic words that change people's lives. Gifts of healing which take pain away. We need a certain amount of compassion for the sick. It's not something you do technically. It's something you do because you love people. Jesus did it because he loved people. He had compassion for them. There are no definitive set of rules. There are no magic words. There are no formulae. However, I would say a couple of things. The first is take authority. We've talked about Jesus giving authority to the 70 over sickness and over demons. They had to take the authority, and it worked. We have to take the same authority. We're so used to praying, if it's your will, God, please heal this person. For me, there are three things wrong. I, I'm not very good at counting, so there might only be two things wrong. The first is, if it's your will, nobody came to Jesus and went away unhealed. Therefore, it is God's will to see people healed. I never pray if it's your will. I never ask God to heal people unless I'm really desperate. 
I will command the healing or the deliverance. And that works. And that's because that's what he's given us to do. It's a bit like your boss saying, go buy a coffee, and then you turn to go buy your own coffee. You know, God, God has given us. We, we are far more valuable. We are far more... I don't know how to express it, really. We're more than Western Christianity teaches that we are. And I can expand on that another time. Keep it light and keep it short. So Jesus never prayed for anybody for a long time. There were short prayers and there were good prayers. So when I pray for people for sickness, I'll pray for a maximum of four or five minutes. And if they're not healed, I'll say, come back next week. And I'll usually try and get some lightness into it, some humor into it, for the simple reason that I want them, I don't, if, if it becomes intense and becomes prolonged, people go and they're not healed, they go away with a damaged faith. And that's the last thing we want. We want them to go away feeling, well, that was good, I'll go and try that again. I felt a bit of Jesus there. I'll go and, yeah, I'll do it again. You know what's really funny is I make the offer to a lot of people come and see me next week and I'll pray for you. I think I've had five people take me up on it in 40 years. Maybe it's because I've got BO or something. Be as specific as you can. I used to pray with nurses and doctors because they used to know what the bit hold. I just pray for bits and pieces. Now that works, but if you pray for the specific thing, it often works better. When you're actually doing the prayer for somebody, ask them what the level of pain is before you start, or what the level of movement is that they have before you start. Pray for them and ask them if it's changed. If it's got worse, that is good. It means it's a spiritual issue and there's a spirit of infirmity or a spirit of affliction at work. If it's got better, it means God started to heal them and you pray again. If it stayed the same, pray again, maybe once, maybe twice, and then leave it till next week. Command the healing, have them test the healing, ask what's changed, and if improving, pray again. Does that all make sense? Okay. This next one is for you and me, because I'm part of you now, like it or not. <laughs> I've actually joined the church. I don't know how that happened. I didn't mean to. Last, a couple of weeks ago, I had a prophetic word for the church, which I've lost. No, there it is. And the penultimate line was, I believe Father wants to revitalize YVV through a, more, a move of his love, his generosity, his miracles, but there's a cost for us to pay and sometimes it's not easy. To establish a culture of healing in this place, there is a cost. And this is the first prophetic word I've ever seen with a PS. It said, PS, I don't believe the cost is primarily financial. And what I'm meaning is that it's not going to happen overnight. To change the culture of a place takes four, six, nine months. And are we prepared to actually persevere in praying for people to be healed for four, six, nine months 
to see the culture change where it becomes something natural and wholesome for us to do? These are questions for us. I am. I absolutely am. I've paid the cost. Now, I wanted to say something about the cost. Cost is not necessarily unpleasant. I, you know, there was this thing of our bet that, you know, God would say, there would, there would be a gift some people would get. You're going to get money to give to the church. That's going to be your gifting. I thought, God, don't give me that one. I don't want that one. But I did get that one to a certain extent, and it's actually been a pleasure and a generosity and, 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 and great, a good feeling. And in healing, there has been a cost. When I started, a few people got dramatically healed, which was great. And then quite a few didn't, which was much harder. And then over the years, as I learned to keep it short, to keep it light, and more and more people got healed, it became, the cost became so much easier to bear. It's dealing with the disappointment. It's dealing with frustration sometimes. It's persevering. John Wimber, who you may have heard of, used to say, if, and jo Rob Carter sent me this quote. Uh, it's too much for me. He, if he prayed for 100 people and one got healed, that was success. I usually say if I pray for 10 people and one gets success, or if I get down to 100 and one got healed, if I'd carry on, to be honest. He preached healing for 10 months before the first person got healed. And in that 10 months, he reckoned he prayed for 1,000 people before the first person got healed. Now, I think we have moved on 20 or 30 years since then, and there is a lot that we can inherit from what he did and from what a lot of other people have done, so it will come for us much quicker. I'm not expecting us to have to pray for thousands of people before somebody gets healed. I'm expecting the people to get healed today, but not necessarily huge amount. Do you know what I'm trying to say? To move into a culture where healing is the norm is good. And I'm not talking just about physical healing, I'm talking about emotional healing and spiritual healing and healing of memories and, and stuff like that. Gifts are given embryonically. That means we need to practice them. The only gift which is given in its fullness usually is the gift of tongues. You can either speak the language or you can't speak the language. And once you've got it, you can speak it. Sometimes people get one or two words and then the full language comes, but often that's the only gift that is really given in its fullness. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healing, all the other words, all the other gifts we need to learn to grow in. And we grow in them by practicing them. And as we practice in them, so our experience grows and we become more, get involved in more complex healing and see bigger things happen. I still haven't healed a common cold. I don't know, but that was a really weird one. The more of us who take up the call to actually get involved, the better the results will be. And you have a really great start. Now, I'm going to talk about it from the other side, chronic illness. So I've talked about it from the side of I'm persevering in prayer, but some of us have chronic illness. I have chronic illness. 
2002, I was rushed to hospital with a pain in my chest and down my right arm, left arm, one arm, and um, got there at one o'clock in the morning, dong doctor sitting up with me all night. He said, there's nothing I can do for you, you best say goodbye. I had two thoughts in my mind. One was had I provided financially for my wife and children. The other was I was excited about the next stage of life after going through death. It was that nervous anticipation like when you go to a new school. No fear at all. Then they rushed me from that hospital to another hospital, did an angiogram, popped a stent in, and one of my, my left big artery was 95% blocked, and they put a stent in and fixed it. The next day, the cardiologist came round. He said, you're the luckiest man alive. If they'd called me out like, last night like they should have done, I'd have listened to your heart, found you the pericarditis, given you some anti-inflammatories, and you'd be dead in three months. In 2015, I went shopping with my daughter. Very dumb thing to do, go shopping. I ended up with a pacemaker. Had to get that checked every year. Got it checked last May. Everything's fine. Came down for the birth of my grandson. My daughter said, Dad, you're not looking too good. You should see a specialist. My wife took up the call, said, Harry, you're not looking too good. Better see a specialist. Went to see my cardiologist and ended up with a triple bypass in November. Really painful recovery, let me tell you. I've had, peri I've had um, pericarditis for the last five months, pain in my chest. Um, do I blame God for it? No, absolutely not. Am I disappointed I'm not healed? No, not really. Every but every time there is, a there is an opportunity for prayer, I'll stand up and I'll put my hand on my heart and I'll say, Father, my heart's here, I need a new one. I'm expecting a new one. These guys prayed for me just last week, the week before, just for that. If my time is up, my time is up. But while I'm here, I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing, regardless. It is, it is hard sometimes, and I get fed up with the pain, but... And I don't blame the devil, actually, because actually my heart condition is primarily generational and also not the most healthy eating habits growing up and smoking too much. So part of it's my fault. Um, and I've run out of things to say on that. But I would encourage you, if you have something which is an ongoing illness, don't, just don't stop getting prayer for it. Because God might heal you. He might heal you. There's a good chance he'll heal you. The next slide used to say any questions, but I deleted it. <laughs> oh, we've gone back to those. <laughs> I didn't mean to go back to those. Anybody, any questions? I must have spoke really, really well. <laughs> Oh, one over there. Yes, sir. How do you deal with people that do get disappointed with, uh, you know, grappling and dealing with sickness? I invite them to come for prayer again. I invite them to come for prayer again. I can't deal with people's disappointment or their whatever. They have to deal with that. But what I can do is come alongside them and pray for them. And pray for the healing again. And ask Jesus to touch them.
and he usually does. I want to ask Matt Maudling to come up here, just because he's an Englishman. Matt, get your butt up here, boy. Now, Matt spoiled my demonstration of healing by having it done before the service started. Can you tell these guys what happened this morning? I've had a, um, I've had a really painful left foot for a few weeks now, to the point that I've been limping everywhere that I've been going. Been able to hide it mostly, but some of those nearest and dearest to me have started to pick it up and say, you're limping, Matt. It's like, I certainly am. Uh, foot's been really painful, um, not working properly, suboptimal. And um, as I was driving in this morning, I thought, oh, if Harry's there, I'm gonna, gonna have a chat with him and ask him to pray. So I did. And um, we prayed a couple of times, we prayed, prayed three times actually, but the first couple of times we prayed, um, well, Harry asked me what kind of level of pain from naught to ten, naught being fine, ten being agony, and I was um, around six and a half, seven, and um, pr Harry prayed and um, immediately felt that come right down to towards a three. Um, and as we prayed, um, I could feel real heat in my, in my left foot and up my calf. Yeah, it was very encouraging. <laughs> it's still, still there, still, I mean, the foot's still there. Your foot's um, still there, the foot's still there. That's a good thing, his foot's still there. Um, still, in, still in discomfort, it'll be around a three still now. Yeah. But First Steph, we prayed for you for healing, to do healing. I'm like, mm. If you would like to, everything's by invitation. I just put your hand on his shoulder. That's if he doesn't mind. <laughs> and command all the pain to go out of his left foot and his calf now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I command all the pain in Matt's left foot and his calf to be gone. Mm. Right now. Right now, from three down to zero. Mm. Thank you for the healing that's already done this morning. Ask him how it is. How is it? No, I'm still, still sitting around a three. Still sitting around a three? Hey again. <laughs> He's being stubborn. In the name of Jesus, I command that the pain in Matt's foot on the left side be gone <clears throat> right now completely. Pain in the muscles and, and the tendons and the joints um, in the foot and the ankle and the calf to be gone in the name of Jesus. I command this nervous system to be restored and made whole. You've got to say this. I can't do the healing. You're doing it. You're in oh, control now. Right. Say it again. I, <laughs> I command. I command. Sorry. The nervous system... The, the nerves in Matt's foot. The nerves in Matt's foot. To be made whole now. To be made whole now. For the circulation to be completely restored. For the circulation to be fully restored. And all the pain to go. And all the pain to go. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How's that? No, no, still there. Still there? Okay, that's all right. Hang around. I don't want to keep praying for him, I'm, I'm happy to keep praying, but I do, we'll run out of time and Di will get me when she gets back. 
I'll get into trouble for saying that, by the way. Um, I want to do two things this morning. The first is, I would like to pray for people who have an inkling that they would like to become involved in healing. I'd like to pray a prayer of impartation so that you can start to move more in healing. Now, if you're moving in healing already very well, don't, don't worry about this too much, but if you're not and you'd like to, please stand up.